Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He, he gives us this model, this beautiful template for prayer. And having already been warned against vain repetition, we know it was never his intention that we simply memorize the prayer and rattle it off and say, done my prayer thing, done my spiritual duty. He wants us to focus in today, especially, on what it is he was saying and why he was saying it. Long before I ever knew the Lord or knew anything about Him, I knew of this prayer. It meant very little to me then, but that has certainly changed. In Pastor Sam's message, The Lord's Prayer, we look at Jesus' teaching on how to pray, and so very much more. Let's see what he has to say. Matthew chapter 6, we're picking up at verse 9, and we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is perhaps the most famous prayer in all of Scripture. So even people who rarely, if ever, go to church are familiar with it. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but a more appropriate title would be the Disciples' Prayer. And here's why. There are things in this prayer He gave us that He never Himself needed to pray, like forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, our trespasses. Why? Jesus, tempted in all ways, yet without sin. The only one who never had to say, forgive me. But listen, he, he gives us this model, this beautiful template for prayer. And having already been warned against vain repetition, we know it was never his intention that we simply memorize the prayer and rattle it off and say, done my prayer thing, done my spiritual duty. He wants us to focus in today, especially, on what it is he was saying and why he was saying it. Why? It's going to enrich our prayer life, our intimacy with the Father, our, our, our growth as we, we move closer to him and are more sensitive to him. Well, he begins then with these words, our Father. It reminds us of who he is and the intimacy he desires. It's relational. It's intimate. It's personal. Our Father. Now, three things you need to know from the get-go that though it's popular theology that God is everyone's father, it's not biblical theology that God is the father of all. He is the creator of all, sustainer of all, and the only hope of redemption for all. But in order to rightly won't well, call him father. You need to be part of the family. And Jesus explained it like this. He said, God is spirit, speaking of the father, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In order to worship, to praise, to pray in spirit and in truth, we need to have a spiritual nature. And that's why Jesus says you must be born again. 
That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So what Jesus teaches us is that in order to pray our Father, we need to first make him our Heavenly Father. And we do that through the miracle of the new birth. When we say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sin, be my Lord and Savior, we are literally birthed into the family of God. And He then becomes our Heavenly Father. The second thing is, the way we address people, anyone, each other, but even God, says a lot about how close we are to him, how intimate we are with him. Here's how this works. People that don't know me at all send me mail. I know they don't know me at all because they address it to Reverend Allen. Sometimes they don't even get the Allen right. But it's not that I, I, I'm not to be, well, here's the deal with the word reverend. It only appears in Scripture in relationship to God. No man in Scripture is called reverend, only God. So I'm a little hesitant to take a title only applied to God in Scripture and say, yeah, just call me reverend. They did transfer that word or translate that word awesome in another passage. And I thought, well, like, if you want to call me awesome, Sam Allen, that doesn't seem as weird. Although that is pretty weird. But but the bottom line is only God is reverend, only God is truly awesome, only God is worthy of that kind of, of adoration. And, and so when someone writes to Reverend Allen, hey, mostly that stuff just gets chucked. They don't even open it or give it to me. But lots of you call me Pastor Sam, and I want to tell you I have no problem with that title, Pastor Why? I don't believe it separates us. I, I believe it brings us together because the word literally acknowledges that I, I, I am a shepherd, that I am caring for you, I do care for you, that, that I'm here to feed God's flock and encourage them and be an example to them. And so, pastor, there's nothing wrong with that term. But ordinarily, people that don't know a pastor well will call him pastor or even Pastor Sam or Pastor Allen. If it's last name, you know they don't know him as well as someone who uses the first name. And if we get to be friends at all, you know I'm comfortable anyway with the I don't have to have a title. I didn't get into the ministry so people would call me something. I just wanted to serve the Lord and his people. And so lots of people call me Sam. Now, my real name's Samuel Thomas Allen Jr. No one ever calls me that. My mom called me that a couple times, and when she did, I knew I was in trouble. It's been a long time, but when I hear those words, Samuel Thomas Allen Jr., I'm like, man, I'm getting, I'm going, I'm hiding. Why? Because anybody who uses all four of those is after you. They're out to get you. <laughs> and so you could know from what people were calling me how close they were to me. My mom mostly just called me Sammy. And, and, and by the way, if you get down to Southern Cal or even at Marietta, you'll meet some of the other pastors down there, you know, Costa Mesa or around that area. And people that knew Pam and I years and years ago, they don't know us as Sam and Pam. They know us as Sammy and Twigs. Now, I'm not going to go have to explain all that to you. Let me just tell you, she was under 100 pounds when I, I met and married her. And, and so uh, that's the twig part. And I, I'm smart enough not to do anything with that at this point. But um, but all my old friends, and they still do it. I mean, I've known them for 30 years. They call up and they ask for Sammy. They don't ask for Pastor Sam or Reverend Allen. And sometimes the secretaries, because they're new, they're like, Sammy? Sammy who? You know, and they're like, Pastor Sammy, you know? And, and it's like, but no one calls me that that doesn't know me from when I was young. And, and, and so my aunts, they call me Sambo. 
Why? Well, we were from the South. They lived in Georgia, St. Louis, some of those places. And every relationship has with it, well, some there are some names and some, some things that say we are closer and that's why we call one another these things. Pam and I have a, a lot of pet names for each other. I won't embarrass myself by sharing them with you. But, but their names, I never call anyone else, just her. Why? There's an intimacy in our relationship that allows for those names, and they're between us and us alone. Now, my boys called me dad. I've only had two boys, and, and uh, they were the only two to ever call me father or dad. Why? I was their father. I was their dad. I did have a niece and a great niece, though, that both called me Uncle Daddy for a season. I got to tell you, that's very tender to me personally. It's a, a wonderful memory because it's like my boys, as most of your children, were never planned. I, I'm grateful for them. I love them. But I mean, how many of you planned your kids? I'm just curious. Yeah, about 10. Yeah, I figured that. <laughs> Basically, it's like, you're what? Again? Already? You're joking. And always happy, of course, but with that news. But we don't plan children. They just come along. But, but those that were in our family and a part of our family that we had opportunity, that I had opportunity to be uncle and daddy to, very tender relationship. And, and so all of that just to say this, that, that when we're told to call our God Father, Jesus is saying, I want you to have that kind of intimacy. I want you to know him in that tender and, and close relationship. Not, not feel distance from him. And, and oftentimes, I hear people praying, and what they're praying is theologically correct. Oh, great and omniscient God, omnipotent, and, and, and it's like it's all true. But how much does that distance them from the God that Jesus said, pray our Father how many of you ever went into your parents and you want to borrow some cash or borrow the car? And you're like, oh, omnipotent father who brings home the groceries. And no, we don't do that. Why? It's silly. No, we come and we just say, hey, dad, can I borrow 10 bucks? Can I, can I have the keys? And, and, and God wants us to approach him with that kind of sensitivity and that kind of intimacy. Now, there's a balance in all of this. And the balance is so important. He's our father. And he's in heaven. Why is that important? Because sometimes we bring him too close and take him down too far. Yes, he's our father, but he's due the respect of our heavenly father, the reverence and the awe of a heavenly father. And he's not the man upstairs or, you know, the big kahuna. No, no, he's, he's God, our heavenly father. And so we want to make sure that, that we're acknowledging, okay, I know who you are. I, I understand our relationship. I have access. I'm coming because you've made me your child. Our Father, who art in heaven. Oh, one other thing as it relates to our Father. It, it not only talks about our relationship to Him personally, it talks about our relationship to one another corporately. I love that. When you become a child of God, you become a part of the family of God. And, and well, like all families, you know, not everything goes perfect in the family of God. But, but the bottom line is we are family. We're to be caring for and watching out for, providing for one another, taking care of one another the same way we would take care of those in our immediate circle. We start there and then we extend ourselves beyond 
the, the hallmark of the first century church is that they loved not only the Lord, but one another. And people saw it. They took note. Well, Jesus said that would happen, by the way. By your love for one another will all men know you're my disciples. His words. And so we're to address him as our father. And then we're to make sure in the midst of that, that we are still recognizing his majesty as our father in heaven. But there's something else here, and it's so wonderful. Oftentimes when I come to the Lord, and no doubt when you come to the Lord, we come because we're distressed, we're pressed, we're pressured, we're worried. And we come in, we kind of start throwing it all out there. And what he's doing is saying, settle down for a moment. First, remember the relationship. Recognize who you're addressing, your heavenly father. And then remember, he's in heaven. Man, He is all powerful. It's our father in heaven. Heaven is my throne, the earth my footstool. Is that is that an amazing statement? Contemplate it. Consider it. God says, heaven, my throne, the earth, my footstool. And he's saying, hey, I want to be close. I want to talk to you. But here's the best part. He can meet every single need because he's in heaven, because he's almighty, because all those other things that could distance us from him or separate us from him still are true of him. Oh, man, when I come to God, my problems shrink in proportion to my awe of him. You know, it's been cloudy, but if you could get above the clouds, well, and right now it's pretty nice out, but, but yesterday, part of the day at least, heavy storms, day before even worse, and when the clouds are out, you got to know the sun's still shining, the clouds can block them, and, and problems are like that, trials are like that, temptations are like that, it's like a cloud, but, but he's there. And as we acknowledge him and we redirect and we get beyond the problem here and we say, okay, Lord, I know who you are. I know what we're, how we're connected. I know where you are. I know how powerful you are. Well, everything comes into perspective. The three petitions that he gives us, having recognized who he is and where he is, the first three petitions are all about him. Now, this is relatively rare in prayer, and that's why I think he had to teach us to pray this way. It's not that men would naturally come and say, oh, yeah, your, your glory, you know, your kingdom, your will. But if you are about his glory and his kingdom, and if you can truly say your will, not mine, be done, well, you can be sure you're going to have your prayers answered. I don't know about you. I, I don't want to pray just to pray. When I come to the Lord, I have a reason. And I want my prayers to be heard and answered. And if I ask anything according to his will, he says, well, I can be sure he's listening. And I can be sure he'll answer. And so here are the three petitions, all focusing on him. First of all, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means holy, honored, glorified, exalted. And you know, the name of Jesus, the names of God, the Old Testament names of God, fascinating study. You should spend some time, grab a book, dig in, because God reveals himself to us in so many different ways. But, but I've made an observation. Out in the world, as I interact with non-Christians, and, and I do that on really relatively regular basis, I've noticed that you never hear anybody well, cursing and, and attaching the name Krishna or Buddha to it. Have you noticed that? Nobody says Buddha, damn it, or Krishna, damn it. 
I know some of you are thinking, can he say damn it? Did he say damn it? Yeah, you can say that. I'm not encouraging you to say it, but it can be said. What I'm saying, though, is when people do curse, they don't say Buddha, damn it, or Krishna, damn it. Why? Because Buddha isn't God, and Krishna isn't God, and inherently they know they don't have the power to damn it. Now, 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 now follow me here for a moment. I play basketball with a group of people that have such great faith, amazing faith. They shoot a shot, they miss, and retroactively pray for God to damn the shot. And he does. But I, I think you do get my point. The, the reason we hear Jesus' name used so negatively so often is, is his name is the name above every name. Now, it's tragic and sad, honestly, that the world is blaspheming and cursing using our Lord's name associated with that. How much more should we be, well, should we have Jesus' name on our lips? How, how much more often should we be father and, and and Jesus and, and well, you get the point. People out there are, are doing it, but they're not honoring His name. They're not glorifying. They're not exalting it. They're dragging it down and, and stamping it in the mud. Names in Scripture speak of nature and character. So when we say, "Hallowed be Your name," we're acknowledging that God's character is holy. And that he is a righteous God. And that everything he does is right. And only God's like that. You know, the Jewish scribes had such respect for the name of God that when they were translating the Old Testament and they came across the name of God, they would just write the consonants they wouldn't write in the vowels. And that caused some problems when we got around to translating the Bible. Why? Because you couldn't really be sure in many cases exactly which vowels fit. Now, there were some grammatical rules that made it po more possible to know than not to know in many cases. But, but because of that, people have come up with the idea that, well, God's name in the Old Testament, think it must be Jehovah. You got to know it wasn't. Here's why. There was no J in their alphabet. They didn't have the J sound. No, they had a Yah sound. They, they had Yah. And so, highly likely, someone just said it, Yahweh. Very probable. Instead of Joshua, they would have said Yahshua or Jehovah. They would have said Yehovah or Yahweh. And, and so... But, but my point is this, they so revered the name of God, they wouldn't write it out even. They wouldn't pronounce it out loud. Only the high priest on the Day of Atonement, there in the Holy of Holies, would pronounce the name of God. So high was the respect and reverence for his name. Now, there are a couple other things as related to his name. Some of you are aware of this, of course. God does have a first name. His name is Jesus. We sing it. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Why? There's something about that name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's his name. Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is the name of the Son of God. But in the Old Testament, God reveals his, his last name. It's there because he says, this is my name, and this is my name forever. It's the name I am. And so if you put it all together, being a child of God, what that does is it, it makes you like Bob I am, and, and you know, Pat I am, and, and Karen I am, and you know what it makes me, of course, Sam I am, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and even that becomes useful. Because I meet little kids and they're like, what's your name? And I'm like, Sam. And they're like, whoa, green eggs and ham. And I'm like, right on, Sam I am. And, and then I begin to explain to them what that actually means. 
It means something. My father says, my name is, I am forever. And so we have become the family of I am's. We are his children, born again of his spirit. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. When I pray, when you pray, your kingdom come, there really, there are three things that should be in our heart and mind. First of all, we are praying for more of him more of his rule and reign in and over our lives personally. And listen, I don't know what it was like for you. I'm, I am absolutely being honest. When I ruled and reigned over my own life, I just trashed it and I messed up the lives of those around me. And even after I became a Christian and even after I became a pastor, from time to time, I kind of try to take the reins back and do my own thing. But we sang today, Lord, reign in me. And it's hypocritical to sing it or pray it and not mean it. And so when we're praying, your kingdom come, we're saying, Lord, really do reign over me. Really establish your lordship in my life over every area of my life. And if we do, the Lord's going to say, well, then that has to go. All right, Lord, it's yours. Well, then that, that can't stay. Okay, it's gone. Well, then this needs to happen. Whatever you say, Lord, because if he's Lord and we're his servants, well, then the only thing we can say to anything he has to say is, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. So there's a personal application. There's also a universal application. We are praying for him to expand and extend his kingdom in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our community, as, as we reach out to the world around us. We're saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Expand your rule and reign, not just in our lives and homes, but in all lives and homes. It's an intercessory prayer at that point. We're no longer just praying for God's glory and, and for his kingdom. We're praying for people. Why? A king needs, and, and a kingdom needs those who will be subject to. And then finally, we are praying for him to return. The ultimate answer to this prayer, your kingdom come, happens when Jesus returns to this earth and establishes his kingdom as he promised he would. We looked this last Wednesday night at Revelation 22 and, and the whole thing concludes with them saying, hey, I'm coming quickly. And what's the response? Yes, Lord. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That's what we're praying when we say your kingdom come. So, Lord, your name exalted, honored, magnified, your kingdom in my life, in our lives, in our community, and, and ultimately when you return, established. And then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, there's a, a promise in the Old Testament that the days are coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, when no one will say, know the Lord, for all will know the Lord. That's the time when this prayer will fully and finally be answered. But again, your will be done. When I'm saying, Lord, what's your will? I want it to be done. There's places where he says, pray the Lord of the harvest, that, that he would send out workers into his harvest. Why? The, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And he tells his disciples, I want you to pray. You know what he does next? He sends them out two by two in answer to their prayer. And I think he says the same thing to us. Pray the Lord of the harvest. It isn't just pray for evangelist. It is pray for workers in the harvest. I know Danny's going to share on that, so I don't want to take anything from it. But that, that'll be his message next Sunday morning as he shares with us. Workers for the harvest. Why? The harvest is plentiful. People need Jesus. 
But anyway, your name, your kingdom, your will, all three of these errorist imperatives in the Greek, what does that mean to us? It means that we're to be praying these things with a sense of urgency and an awareness of their necessity. That's got to happen. The world we live in, and you're aware, it's a mess, and it isn't getting any better. Oh, we have short seasons where it seems like we're making progress, where, where we're, we're, getting some, some, we're getting somewhere. But, but by and large, he says, no, it's just a, a facade. Understanding the components of this prayer will help guide us when it comes to the prioritization of the things we bring to the Lord in prayer. Nothing is more important in the life of a Christian than that of putting the will of the Lord and the desires of the Lord as their number one priority in life. Join us next time as Pastor Sam completes his message, The Lord's Prayer. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.